Hey guys, we have some great news that we want to share and um, it's actually something that me and Kerry been thinking about for a while but haven't really haven't really put the motions in to do it but um, we actually been talking about it and uh, finally have started this project and you know we have been doing this for a while and each week we're getting more and more listeners and each week we're getting more and more emails and connecting with you guys and we really appreciate it but we also feel like we have the potential to do more we can do better productions and interesting productions and do more ambitious projects we want to develop we want to innovate and we want to take the podcast in a further level and we have goals and dreams don't we carry i mean yes we want to bring stories the interesting stories yes we want to bring the stories about of course real madrid manchester united arsenal um but also the smaller stories we want to cover the whole spectrum of soccer throughout the world as much as we can anyway that's why we are excited to announce our plans to visit one of Africa's most vibrant, richest, uh, most well-known countries of Kenya. And we've mentioned this before. Some of you, I'm sure, have seen the uh, Facebook Live and uh, some of the messages we've been sending out. But we're aiming on visiting Kenya and really getting into their soccer scene, uh, really getting into why Kenya, unlike other notable African powerhouses, soccer powerhouses at least, like Ivory Coast, Egypt, Cameroon, Nigeria, Nigeria, yeah, why Kenya, one of the most, a country that's well known for its runners, yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Uh, why it lags, lacks on the uh, soccer scene. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a valid question, you know, it's also a big country, they have 45 million uh, people living there and uh, they have money but what is what is the core behind that they cannot produce that many players as other countries and the biggest player is Victor Vanyama and he plays today for Tottenham Hotspurs so he somehow made that progress right the development we're going to travel to Kenya in January and we're going to interview players Fans, coaches, and hopefully um, uncover the the mystery behind mystery. this question. Yeah, you know, know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in, we're gonna do this in their em- environment, and this documentary is gonna be in five episodes. And we're also going to be personal, so you will be a part of our journey and our trip. You will be there with us, and. Uh, we have just started a Kickstarter campaign. And um, for people that know us, or people that listen, and people that support this idea of doing a socket documentary in podcast form that never really been done before, we're really hoping that you can support and help us and pledge, donate, whatever you can, small or big. Anyways, it will help us on this journey. Yeah, we encourage you to help, uh, especially because we have set up rewards. It's not just going to be for, you know... Um, right, they get something back. Yeah, you get right? something, of course. Yeah. Um, such as Oz Koch and King, 
t-shirts t-shirts which will be fabulous looking yep totally <laughs> um you'll get a possibly a chance to appear on the show yes even and speak about your just really discuss soccer discuss football together yeah. speak about your experiences ours and just talk about whatever we want exactly um, whatever we want man it could be anything right it could be your childhood playing growing up it could be one game that you want to talk about specifically with us also oz will go to each and every one of your doors and give you hand-picked flowers i will man <laughs> roses red roses yellow roses pink roses too man and if you donate a lot oz will cook you a turkish nice food turkish food oh, yeah turkish meal yes <laughs> we will definitely shout, give you a shout out on the show but the idea is that we really want to go to kenya to show how big football is and what it means to people and with people with dreams like us and uh, we really appreciate that you are with us again another episode and and we feel that together we can do it and um, not even the sky is the limit so let's make it happen let's make it happen guys go into kickstarter search for us Cartoon king and if you can if you want to donate and we appreciate it man thank you and welcome to <laughs> the Oscotch and King, King Soccer Podcast Show. Show. couple of weeks now hmm? it's been a couple of weeks now what are you talking about i mean u.s oh it's been a month a month yeah yeah a couple of weeks a couple of weeks is three weeks two to three two to three <laughs> yeah. a month is it's been it's probably been like six weeks six weeks okay it's been six weeks i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yes yes it is since the u.s i know didn't qualify yeah um oof. you're like you're saying yeah like yeah yeah sorry yeah, yeah. Dude. no 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 i'll say more like uh, i'm sad too man that was not easy i mean i remember uh watching the portugal game at brew house the pub that we go to sometimes right and um, it was one one and um, 80th minute something like that the place went crazy. I never seen so many people there. It was so packed, and U.S. scored that two-one goal, and it felt like, you know, a new mark in the U.S. soccer, as in taking a new step to really show how you know where they at, how good they yeah, are, that they fair. they are really up there, right? I mean, against a team like Portugal too, and uh, you know. Eventually, Portugal scored 2-2, but that energy, that passion, 
that love for the game right there was amazing and i'm sad that i'm sad that it's not gonna happen now right? yeah i mean with the world cup comes that nationwide enthusiasm around the u.s you wouldn't get you you'd watch the brew house and when it was packed like you said you yeah. get watch parties where thousands of people would show up and watch on the big screen yeah um let alone whoever's in the stadium you get that when it's world cup time you yeah. get like once the u.s plays soccer is popular enough now that there's a, there is an excitement around the u.s right even with qualifiers friendlies gold cup games whichever uh but you won't get that sort of mass like party like super party sort of um uh atmosphere in a just a qualification right. game no yeah. just the world cup has brought that exactly um and you're right. I think that now that now that you mentioned it, I didn't really think of it at the time. But now that you mention it, that game because the US played so well, that game yeah. was such a good game. Yeah, uh, really showed that. Yeah, we can't compete. We are. Exactly. We do belong to be here. We're. Yeah. We, we are on this world stage. But now, without this qualification, one of the biggest disappointments, one of the biggest letdowns, our biggest repercussions, rather, of us not being there is uh, the fact that this summer in Russia we won't see large crowds gather outside streets or whatever big watch parties in yeah. front of big screens yeah um or people go to the brew house or whatever bar or pub exactly and you know really get behind the team and bring in some new fans some new new soccer enthusiasts and inspire kids exactly. that are watching it live and uh, i'm glad you mentioned that that game three from three and a half years ago because last week we played Portugal again, and this time in definitely very different circumstances. Mm-hmm. Not in the high-profile, intense excitement of a World Cup group stage True. game, but this was a experimental, a game for. It's going to sound weird, but a game for change almost. Okay. After the U.S.'s disappointment of not qualifying, now that change that we all want has begun, hopefully, hopefully, with this game against Portugal, this friendly against Portugal, um, with a lot of new faces and very few, not many of the old guard. There's no Dempsey, no Bradley, no Oxford, of course, they're in playoffs, but no Tim Howard either, no uh, Bedoya was on the squad, and uh, I think most people expected him to captain, but he didn't. He, okay. I think he picked up some sort of injury, uh, so he didn't even play. So a lot of the, the young 18 19 22 23 year old players uh that the u.s has right now that hasn't had many looks in the past Mm -hmm. but is now getting their their chance to show what they can do and hopefully they'll be the the backbone for the club for the country for the national team in the future the likes of weston mckinney tyler adams mckinney who scored on his debut um matt miazga and uh multiple others maybe even ethan horvath <laughs> who as long hopefully he gets over that mistake but uh, he will he's young yeah he's young um you you, you put it on we kind of see a change or at least attempt to bring in more young players right yeah so just bringing in one young players is only one thing that could be changed that's just one thing there's just one thing there's a yeah. lot of stuff that needs to be changed right yeah yeah exactly i mean you still have that those players to pick from but the idea is to have many more talented players that plays regularly in clubs yeah so the competition is higher right and uh, you mentioned it man young players and 
the first time I got introduced to Pulisic, um, it wasn't that many people that knew about him, right? I mean, I remember us discussing about him and talking about him early on, even before he made the Dortmund debut. He wasn't that big in US then. But we both could tell that, okay, this is an amazing talent. And soon after, he was called Wonder Boy, right? Mm. He's a good example of showing that he was born and raised in U.S., comes from the U.S. soccer system, and made it to the Dortmund and plays week in, week out. Is one of the most important players in their offense. Yeah. So can we talk about Pulisic and kind of understand his path to professional soccer career and kind of understand the best practices. And maybe we can also talk about how it was for you in the sense of when you grew up and maybe come up with a solution and discuss around the topic the way to become a professional player, like those steps that needs to be happened, like that system that will foster players that eventually will make it to big clubs and be competitive in that level. Can we do it? Sounds like a plan. All right. It's perfect timing, isn't it? With uh, Also last week with uh, Pulisic's article in the Players' Tribune. Mm, yes. Uh, which, if you haven't read it, uh, read it, because it is a wonderful piece of work. And I don't want to... With Pulisic, with so many other players in the past, right? Freddie Adu being probably the most notable example. We yes. have had some of a history, and I think a lot of American fans are kind of nervous to hype up a player so much. Yeah. Uh, I think it's safe to hype up Pulisic now because he's show- proven to be the absolute real deal. Everything's going well for him. Yeah. But I'm afraid to say, oh, everything he does is right. Everything. We have to do everything like Pulisic just because I don't want to, I, I don't want to be look like Pulisic I don't want to act like Pulisic is the one and only saver but once again he's done something right something right yeah with this with this article where he's very honest talks about what he sees he's upfront and says that he's not I believe he does uh he's not an expert necessarily in these matters but he just says what he sees yeah and a lot of it aligns with what a lot of the experts have been um mentioning uh, is so, there any, where do you, any, any place you want to start? Let's start with his time in U.S. Okay, yeah, that's good. You know, like, um, he played up to the age of 16, didn't he? And I believe that he did, like, the most talented players do, you know, be on an ODP team or be on a traveling, traveling team and uh, play maybe multiple games each week. And uh, it, it comes to... The coaches that he had at the youth level, obviously. One of them being his father. Exactly. Who went with him pretty much every step of the way. And uh, he had a great support from his parents and family. But when it comes to an age in U.S. soccer, I feel like the game is kind of stopped. You know okay. what I mean? Like, um, um, there's so many youth clubs out there. Like, it's crazy how many youth clubs there are out there, right? But at the age of 15, 16, they don't have anywhere else go afterwards. Mm. In Europe, in Sweden, after the age of 15, 16, you will probably make it to the junior team. 
and then you make it to the reserves and then you make it to the first team but that part is missing in the US soccer so I'm curious about what Pulisic kinda did and what he had to do to get some playing time with a decent or senior players um, well Pulisic went to Europe he went to Dortmund where there was top class facilities and coaching and training done and he practiced with other players aspiring players of his age top quality players mm -hmm. um, but in addition to those of his age he also practiced against or was in and around even the first team players so he got that sort of quality training time that's quality coaching that doesn't happen that often here in the u.s we do have academies. I mean, most teams yeah. have academies, yeah. which I believe in the academies, then that natural progression that you're talking about happens and exactly. it doesn't get stifled. Yeah. But there's too many, too many clubs around here that I think what you're saying are almost disconnected from their academies, from, from their local MLS academies or so. There's not a lot of, uh, wherever club you are, even if you're not in the Atlanta United Academy. Yeah then whatever club you play for, there's not necessarily that an easy path. It's not. I mean... To get to Atlanta United. Yeah, it's not. Or I mean, whatever club. Exactly. I mean, like, uh, you, you reach a level. You reach a level, and then, you know, you were like, okay, I want to make it to, let's say, it should be like NASL or yeah. MPSL or whatever, right? But there's a few teams... And uh, you're not going to make it to those teams at the age of 15, 16, because they bring in older, experienced players out of college. Mm. So here is like, okay, you do high school and then you do college and then you hope that you make it to MLS. But my point is that I think players around the age of 15, 16 should start learning um uh, how to be more competitive, how to be yeah, more go. fighting for your spot, how to come to each practice and each practice you push your limit and you have a coaches, you have players that brings that out of you, you know what I mean? But now what I see in US youth soccer is that if you're the best in your team, there is no one on you. Like, yeah, exactly. there is, there is, you don't get any tackle, you don't get challenges. Exactly. And you also don't really know what your next step might be. You know what I mean? One of the, exactly what you said, one of the interesting things that he says, Pulisic says is, uh, and I quote, in the U.S. system, too often the best player on an under-17 team will be treated like a star, not having to work for the ball, being the focus of the offense at all times, etc., uh, at a time when they should be having to fight tooth and nail for their spot. Mm. And in Europe, on the other hand, the average level of ability around you is just so much higher. It's a pool of players where everyone has been the best player and everyone is fighting for a spot. Truly week in and week out. End quote. So yeah, Pulisic says that everyone at some point in their career in Europe has been that star. You're no longer a star among average players. Everyone is now on equal level, on equal abilities. So yes. you, you have to fight for your spot. Yeah, yeah. And what does that do? I mean, that brings that brings something out from you that 
is more a requirement. Like you have to produce, you have to perform, you have to put in the work, and you cannot slack off. Slack、right? off. And but you know what do we see in U.S. youth soccer system is that yes, we can have great education among coaches. Yes, we can. And we can get rid of pay to play and make it more accessible for people with less money to play soccer. We can do it. You know what I mean? We can. We can. That is possible.、Um, and if you look at the U.S. youth system, a lot of experts are saying we should get rid of the pay to play system, which is that you have to actually pay to be a part of a club. And you know, some clubs are from. Eight hundred dollars to a, in a year in in a year to clubs that probably charge like two thousand dollars. I mean, they are out there, right? And I hear a lot of kids at the age of fourteen, fifteen that says we couldn't afford to play,、mm-hmm. and we lose a lot of players that wants to play but cannot afford to play. That's understandable. That we could do something about it. But if you look at in the development system. What can we do to provide a way to make it to the professional league, professional divisions? And it starts at the age of fifteen to sixteen, seventeen, right? So that's where we need to look at. And I'm saying each team, youth soccer team, should have a first team with senior players. Each youth team should work on having one. Team that plays in the amateur league or playing in any type of division, that the ladder from being a youth to come all the way up to play in a senior level, and that's when you perform. So you might get picked up by Atlanta United. You might get picked up by a, a different team. You know,、um, mm. I have I know a guy.、Uh, he's a keeper and he's excellent. Like he's amazing, right? And he's seventeen years old. I mean, he's really good, dude. He's really good. Like, if I could, I would ask him and bring him to some clubs in Europe to get a trial. But he can't do it, can he? I mean, that was also something that、uh, Pulisic mentioned that、mm. he was so thankful that he has a Croatian passport. Yeah. So he was able to travel to、uh, Dortmund, and、uh, because in in those with a European passport are. Allowed to travel throughout Europe, throughout the European Union,、yes. at a much earlier age. Whereas if you don't, at least here in the U.S., I don't know if it's like this around the world. I don't think it is. But at least here in the U.S., you have to wait until you're 18 to go to Europe to to work. Exactly. And if you look at the big clubs in Europe, right, you start already playing talents around the age of 16, 17, 18. Those years are so crucial. Crucial in a player's development. You hear it all the time. Yeah. So to be able just to get go to Europe two years earlier is vital for for Pulisic than someone, and he's already way ahead of someone that goes to Europe、yeah. at eighteen. And that that is、um, also something that harms U.S. soccer. I'm going to I'm serious though, man. I'm going to right now after this episode send an email to Georgia soccer's president, and I talk about this、uh, subject. I want each like. ADSL team in the amateur league here in Atlanta to be connected to a youth team, like there is the possibility. You know what I mean? Each youth team 
should be connected to a senior team and we should be able to uh, go through the ladder up in the development and that's really the healthy way i mean i'm not we're not gonna go into the bullshit of mls in the sense of um uh in the sense of uh, it's a franchise and it's so important to bring in money and etc i know carrie's a little bit upset when i say <laughs> say that but uh, <laughs> i also want to talk about pulisic as a person uh, a special trait that he has that is not that common but you see it in athletes right and i want to quote from the article when he says about his obsession to win and that's something like a lot of players don't really have and uh, it's hard to also learn that sure um he says and i quote i had to win i'm telling you it was like this thing no matter how many times in a row my dad beat me a horse on a giving night i had to keep playing and keep playing until i finally won one some nights honestly it's like i would even take it more seriously than soccer training i don't know how else to describe it other than as a obsession i would be obsessed with winning a horse and the more i think about it you know i really been like that my whole life obsessed with winning no matter what i'd been doing whether it was a game of horse with my dad or capture the flag as a little kid, or FIFA with my friends, or match with Dortmund. The idea of needing to win, it would just eat, eat me. Which isn't to say that I even win all the time. Like, I'm not even that good at FIFA, but I'll just get so angry about it, so consumed by it. If I'm doing a thing, then I want to be the best at it. I'm not sure what that means, but it's just who I am. And you can really look at this and look at someone like Zlatan Ibrahimovic or look at someone like Lionel Messi or look at someone like Cristiano Ronaldo like they these guys are really have an obsession over winning yeah. winning games winning in practices and this is something that is hard for us to teach the kids to be you know we want them well, to have fun yeah and it has to come from them. I think that goes to... I think that comes back to one thing that has been mentioned a lot over the past month and a half or so, uh, in that the culture needs to change. And it kind of also ties in with uh, what we mentioned earlier about everything has to be competitive around you. You always have to be in that position to fight for your place. And and this obsession for winning only only benefits you. It's that advantage you have to keep your place to always have your spot on the team and always make a living out of things. But if you're okay with settling back, even if you're, yeah, if you're okay with, you know, settling back, if you're okay, if you get into that comfort zone, which can be a good thing, but mm-hmm. can also be a dangerous thing, um, then you may lose that advantage. You may lose that advantage that other players coming up from behind you have. And then the next thing you know, they'll overtake you. Um, also, something that came out um, in the wake of U.S. the U.S.'s failure to qualify was a, um, I believe it was a Periscope mm-hmm. by Jermaine Jones. That this made oh, this yeah. made uh, quite a bit of news um, in the U.S. soccer scene. Jermaine Jones speaking his thoughts on the culture, that mindset, that obsession 
that the U.S. has or lacks, maybe. Uh, so let's listen to that Periscope by Jermaine Jones. I feel like we make it too easy for the younger generation. The younger generation have to be hungry too to say, I want to play Champions League. I want to play in Italy, in Germany, in England, in Scotland, in, 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 in battle day for day for your position that you play on the weekend. When Bob Bradley was the coach, how many players played in, in, in MLS? Most of the players came from Europe. I called Jordan Morris and I talked with him. And, and I asked him, I said, I know that Werder Bremen really wants you and you can play there and you have opportunity. You never know what comes after you play already Bundesliga and you can go farther. And he said, you know what? I want to go home. My dad is a doctor in Seattle and my mom, they bought me and my girlfriend, a dog and all kind of stuff. I was, really? I'm like, why you go the easy way if you have the chance, you know? There's so many kids out there, they would love to go this way, but why we go always the easy way? Jermaine Jones in very Jermaine Jones style, if you know anything about him, and definitely true to his fashion, being rather critical, critical, but speaking his mind, and I think in a time, he's right, I, th- I completely agree with him, and uh, I think a message like that is needed. And I will say, though, uh, after... In, in the wake of the U.S.'s draw with Portugal last week, um, there are bright spots. I always want to find bright spots. Yep. There are those players that um, maybe right now they're just exceptions, right? Because you said right now we have all these talented players that we can look forward to, but they just may be, okay, this group of players that we can pull. They may not be uh, real, real uh, poster boys of the change that we want. But when I see someone like Tyler Adams, who is a Red Bulls Academy player and this past year really killed it with the Red Bulls, who has that fight and that drive and always want to be better, then I love bringing in, um, I love to see MLS players like him in the national squad. And then also when I see Weston McKinney that scored the goal, who similar to Pulisic, but admittedly, I think a couple years later, because he doesn't have a European passport. Yeah. Um, who's now fighting week in, week out with Schalke and is becoming a semi-regular starter for, right now, Schalke, I think, are in second place in the Bundesliga. And uh, Andrew Carlton, that yeah. is practicing with the Atlanta United team and uh, will eventually get his chance in MLS and play, hopefully, regularly, but does an amazing good job. With the, the national team, yeah, the U-17, U-17, yep. U-17 World Cup this past weeks or so did amazing, right? One thing that I think, first thing, first let me say, when I was coming up through the, uh, I guess, youth system, yeah. I don't know, um, through my youth career, to your point earlier about there being no path, like it just mm-hmm. sort of stops, mm-hmm. once I got to that you. Last year it was U19, so mm-hmm. I would have been 17 years old. Um, um, I loved the my years playing uh, the club I was at. Yeah. By the time I finished, I, I loved playing it. We had a really good team. We had yeah. just won uh, the division. And afterwards, we were all in seniors in high school. Yeah, And so that's pretty much like the, the farthest that a club 
goes. Yeah. It after you get there's no there's nothing more after that. Yeah. There's no pathway to a first team or anything like that. Yeah. So after that year we had our best season. Yeah. Every year has been good, but our best season we just yeah. won. Um we just won the division and then it was um pretty much it. It was over. What do you mean it, it was over? You said goodbye to each other? Well yeah, I mean you went and tried to do <clears throat> pickups over here and they <laughs> played it at a park somewhere maybe yeah i mean there's at that point that's once everyone's looking if you really wanted to keep playing um that's once you're looking for scouts from colleges to find you or, or as you go to college maybe you walk on or something like that but i wanted to keep playing with those guys for a bit longer yeah i wanted to especially after we just won yeah the division i wanted a chance to um play a bit more as we would have gotten promoted. So play a bit more in an even tougher league. Exactly. Uh, so imagine if four or five of that team would start practicing with the first team and eventually y'all would yeah. get your time to play. Yeah. And I think that would have been uh, that would have been huge for us because I do think we were talented. I think, I don't know how far we could have gone, but I think we could have gone farther. I wanted to keep on playing with them and... Overall, afterwards, I, like you said, I then I was uh, relegated almost to just playing pick up here and there or something or trying to find some sort of league. But uh, and stopped your development to even further get better in your. Uh, yeah, in a way. In a way. But what's good about this upcoming group? When I look at Weston McKenney and after the game, I saw after the game against Portugal, I saw um, on MLS. Um, uh, they're like post-match show and they had a player that used to play on MLS called Stephen Keel that played for Dallas and Weston McKenney came up through the FC Dallas Academy, their youth system. And Keel uh, told a story where that I think you like, that's good, um, where, I don't know, it was maybe the Dallas U16 team or 15 team or something like that, did a scrimmage against the first team. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, I found that rather something like the... Mm-hmm. the that young to scrimmage yeah. against the first team. Um, but they scrimmage against the first team, and McKenney, I think he had a good game and maybe got into it with Keel a little bit and maybe said some words, I don't know, just you know, yeah. bantering between each other that happens during a game. And at one point, Stephen Keel, who's like 30 years old, yeah. um, really gave him, <laughs> like laid into him <laughs> with a tackle. This was young Weston McKenney, who was up and coming. Everyone knew he was going to be talented being like flattened by professional FC Dallas first team player. And I love that story yeah. because I think that's exactly what you need more of. You I, need the right you need yeah. those youngsters playing against the first team exactly. and learning what it's like. Yeah. Show them that nothing good comes for free. Exactly. Exactly.
what a weekend it was, ladies and gentlemen. It was like Derby all over Europe. Yeah. yeah. England, in Italy, in Spain. Derby days are full with emotions, full with history, and it's full of uh, joy. If you are... Uh, despair. If you, oh, despair, yeah. yeah. Depends on what team wins. What's... uh, I realized with this... We've mentioned it before in England how a big four or so has now gone into a big six. Yeah. These, even if it's, say, like Arsenal, Manchester City doesn't have the historical derby sort of feel, but they are title rivals now. Yeah. There's so many more of those big games now. So many more. So many more. It seems like every other week there's... Two of at least two of the big six are playing each yeah. other. Yeah, more and more teams are getting into that pocket of being one of the best in the league. Yeah, and uh, we have the luxury of watching these stars playing so good football. That's you know? right. But uh, this weekend was uh, what some consider uh, you may disagree depending on who you support uh, the nastiest derby in England. Yeah, and. It's one that I know a lot of fans from both clubs dread once this game comes up. Yeah. Because the the fear of losing is so great. It's just unbearable to to go to work the next day or <laughs> exactly. whatever. It's and, all this stuff that comes afterwards, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, we mentioned like a few <clears throat> episodes back how Tottenham at the moment, looks like a better team. You know, they won against Real Madrid. Mm. They've been... And Dortmund as well. Exactly. And they've been doing really good. At, they've been really good in Premier League as well. But the discussion of, like, Tottenham is a bigger team than Arsenal is really a big joke, you know? Like, <laughs> uh, it's... it's they can't well, be... careful. We don't want to anger the Tottenham fans. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't want to <laughs> anger Tottenham fans. Or do you? Maybe we do. But it's the <laughs> truth and truth hurts. You know what I mean? If you get mad, then you get mad. I can't do anything about yeah. it. But, like, we at least have won, uh, you know, titles. We have won a fake cup titles. And because they came ahead of us in the league last season, and they are ahead of us right now, and doing well now doesn't mean that they are a bigger club. Right, it's two different things. Being two different things. A better team and being a bigger club. Yeah, two different things. And uh, it, I really enjoyed Wenger for once when he had his press conference afterwards. Like, I really felt like, wow, he is uh, talking like the manager I want Arsenal to have. Mm. Let's just hear that short. Clip. Do you think your players have become a bit tired of the um, what we've been writing the last few weeks that Tottenham are coming and asking the client? Did that have something to do with this performance? I believe uh, we do not listen too much, uh, as much as you think, to the national debate. You know that what's among you. We focus. Uh, we live inside our own club, and uh, we focus on what is important for us. And. Uh, people have a perception of about the us, about the game, and we have to live with that. And we can only give one answer: is always on the football pitch. And then, then he got a, another question that made my idea of the coach at Arsenal is to drop because we want to have a coach, and every big club wants to have a coach that just goes for the titles because that was matter. And when Wenger explained his role, it made me feel like, what a 
hell is he talking about? You deserve, it sounds from what you're saying, that you, you, you feel that you deserve a bit more trust and a bit more belief in the fans. I, don't, I deserve nothing, you know. I'm here to produce a quality performance for people who come and pay their money and enjoy it and go home happy or unhappy. That's uh, my job and I don't think I deserve anything. I just try to produce what people expect. And, uh, but I have as well to live with sometimes uh, uh, opinions that are not right and opinions that are a bit exaggerated. And, uh, but that's, I can live with that without any problem. I'm 35 years in the job, you know, so I know a little bit, uh, can anticipate what happens. Arsenal totally spanked Tottenham. Like, they dominated the game. When I watched it, I felt like the only thing Tottenham did was just long balls, long balls, almost like in panic in long balls. And Arsenal kept the concentration, they kept the focus, and never really had any dip, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they had, Tottenham had chances, but Czech also did a really good game. And it was so nice to see, like I said, Alexis Sanchez and yeah. Ozil play together. For me, that was the biggest surprise, that Wenger actually played all three of them <laughs> from the start. No-brainer, man. I know. <laughs> uh, but what... <laughs> but one of the takeaways from Arsenal's performance from this game that a lot of people are talking about that I think it was worth mentioning is that Arsenal's intensity, their, you know, drive, their physicality at times, their willingness to work hard uh, was evident throughout the entire game. They never, he said they never dipped, but it was more than just good passing, good technical play, fancy football there was a real workmanlike effort. Yeah. They completely overpowered yeah. Tottenham, which isn't something that you'd normally say about Arsenal and this Tottenham team. And Mesut Ozil, I don't want to bring up him up because this has just been, I feel like this topic has been talked about way too much Yeah. Um, about whether or not Ozil works hard or not. Yeah. But he had a stellar game. Yeah, he did. And I know some people will think, oh, why does this happen all the time? Right. Um, I do think Ozil works hard all yeah. the time. I don't think he's lazy. It just may not seem it. Yeah. But when Ozil's having a good game and when everyone else around him has a good game, then it's really true. Arsenal Arsenal go. Then yeah. Arsenal wins and right. they have a great game. Alexis Sanchez had a great game. Yeah. Um, Peter Chick had a great game. And for me, the man of the match, I mean, he did a really good job, let me put it that way, was Hector Bellerin. Really? Yeah. I haven't heard that. Oh, okay. I, I know, but I mean, he was amazing, like man. It. He was on top on everything he did, you know. He was brilliant to see him perform a game like that. And Arsenal Almost won. Almost as good as DeAndre Yedlin, man. He sucked, dude. No, he had an assist, Yedlin. Against he, he had an assist, but yeah, then, a good assist. then he... Good assist. Then he... He was one of Newcastle's of one of Newcastle's right spots. But anyway, yeah, Bellerin didn't have a good game. <laughs> <laughs> 2-0 Arsenal... And the narrative hasn't changed because everyone is talking about why can't they do this all the time yeah. or keep this consistent. Yeah. And we will see what will happen this weekend. And another big game was 
Atletico Madrid against Real Madrid, mm. and this game ended 0-0. At um, the Wanda Metropolitano. Oh, dude, this stadium Beautiful is stadium. amazing, man. Beautiful. I mean, hopefully we can get the chance one day to go there. Yeah. Uh, but it was absolutely like a dome. Or How can you describe that, man? It's, it's it spectacular, looks like a bowl to me. man. Almost like a bowl. A bowl like you put soup in or something. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. But it looks amazing. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't mean that in a bad way. No, no, yeah. <laughs> uh, it does look amazing. I think as you would expect from some clubs, um, Atletico have this season been kind of lacking. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's the change of stadium, the change of venue. Maybe. I don't know. But this game against Real uh, was very much like the Atletico Madrid of old. The Atletico Madrid, that is gritty, in-your-face, incredibly good defensively. They give you absolutely nothing, break on the counterattack, and uh, Real Madrid didn't really create much at all. Uh, I mean, they had they had some chance, chances, but right now it looks like Benzema is a little bit out of form. Yeah, yeah. Ronaldo not, as well. Ronaldo is not really scoring, and... Um, I've... I've can't remember the exact number, but Ronaldo's taken something like 55 shots, something ridiculous, 55 shots this season. And you remember, he missed like the first five games of the yeah, season. He did. And so he's taken like 55 or something shots and only scored one goal. Wow. And uh, that's, I just find that, <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. Yeah. Um, I don't want to doubt him though, because people have doubted him early on in the season before. And then he's gone on to be the best player in the year. So, <laughs> <laughs> he, just, he, he can still do it. And the other game is the game between Roma-Lazio. I mean, Roma-Lazio, dude. I know. What's good about this weekend, sorry, with these three derbies, Arsenal-Tottenham is always going to be intense, yeah. especially recent years since their quality has been closer. Uh, same with Real Atletico, especially in recent years yeah. since they've been relatively even. Um, Roma Lazio, sometimes they've been even, but yeah. it's been like they've both been kind of mid table lacking. Right. Or Roma's been good and Lazio's been kind of mid table and lacking. Yeah. But now both Roma and Lazio are flying. Exactly. So many teams in Serie A are flying other than just Juventus. And so this game really meant it just added a little more, it meant a little bit more in terms of positioning at the table and their title challenges. And it's crazy, right? I mean, it's two big clubs. In, from the same city and sharing the stadium. I always love the games with, where they share stadiums. That's why I love Inter and uh, AC Milan as well. What other teams are you sharing? Do you know? Uh, I get to name one, a couple in South America, like oh, yeah? um, Nacional and Peñarol in Uruguay. And uh, historically, Flamengo and Fluminense in Brazil. Um Impressive, man. Yeah. So what did Roma Lazio? <laughs> so, how, so how did Roma? You don't Lazio? care at all. No, it's impressive. It's impressive. It's just I would like to add one more, but I don't. I cannot come up with any. Uh, There's another one in Europe. I can't think of right now. Turkey, no. Impossible. <laughs> Impossible. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so oh. how? What? What was the final score in the Roma Lazio game? Roma taking the two to one victory over there. Arch rivals, two goals, one uh, Diego Perotti goal and assist, and Giro Mobile, who's been excellent this season, pulling one back for Lazio to make things interesting. But can I just say a note that one thing that I noted once I saw I saw the highlights of the game and once I saw the goals is how often 
a once you have a stadium like Stadio Olimpico with like a running track around yeah. it, the fans are relatively far away, especially like Curva Sud and Curva Nord yeah. are so like probably the farthest away. How often a player after they score, they just run like 30 yards, yeah. jump over the advertising boards maybe yeah. twice and yeah. just run over to this fans maybe twice. all that way. Yeah. And I mean, both of Roma's goals did it. That must have taken so much time. <laughs> both of Roma's goal scorers did it. That is, that uh, is epic. Victoria Sander Svensson is a ex Swedish soccer player and she have been a really really good player with the national team and um, one of the top scorers in the national team and always been a reliable striker captain in 2007 world cup exactly and i remember you know uh, being young and watching the women's soccer you know olympics in sydney or in athens 2004 or the world cups and the euros she has always been a dangerous player you know like she was tough but she also scored important goals and it was always her and hannah jungberg at the time there were we had like one of the two uh, best strikers yeah we had like one of the two best strikers in the world and uh, you, you know she's not playing anymore but what she does now is that she's a project manager for ufo's hat-trick program and um the Hattrick program is basically a program that helps the development of the players in a country through funding, knowledge, and education through these three, three factors that try to develop the system, develop the players, provide with knowledge and information, and for their foster players to become talents and to, from talent to reach their goals to be so- soccer players. And it's exactly... The topic that me and Kerry talked about today with the U.S. youth system and what Pulisic also ne- mentioned. So we are very happy that we're going to call Victoria Sandel Svensson next week and address how it is in Sweden, how the system works, and what are what is the UFA hatric program and what are they really trying to accomplish in Sweden. And it's definitely going to be an interesting talk, and we are happy to have her as a guest on Oscar and King Soccer Podcast Show. And we're coming to an end of this episode, guys. And we, you know... Oh, Yeah, put, like, I know. Like a track there. Yeah, like, oh. I know, <laughs> I know. But we we are also been training hard. we also been um, having goals. And we also been trying to develop ourselves in our podcasting. And we are ready to take our the next step and take this to the next level. And it is to make a socket documentary in podcast form. And we're going to go to Kenya. And we're going to make this step. You know, we started to record in the bedroom. And we've been interviewing players. And we've been taking small, small steps to make this better and more interesting for you guys. We went to New York and we have three episodes about the New York soccer scene. And now we're going to make five episodes about Kenyan football and why it is as it is. And look into its past, its present, and its potential for the future.
So once again, we encourage you to check out the Kickstarter, donate whatever you can, do whatever you can to help. We greatly appreciate it. But uh, most importantly, keep listening and uh, enjoying Oscotch and King. And uh, this will be an exciting time for us and for you and hopefully for U.S. soccer. Definitely, man. <laughs> I mean, U.S. soccer will go through some change. Yeah, that's the one one good thing, right, about us not qualifying, in my opinion. Yeah. We now have a real excuse and are forced to really look at ourselves. And... Uh, I'm going to send an email to Georgia Soccer's you president. Do it. I'm going to hold you to do that. I'm going to do it, man. And right. I might even share it with you guys, the reply I get. I want every youth team in Atlanta to have a first team that plays in the amateur leagues. So we can have a better ladder throughout the system, right? So you can develop from U10 up to U15 and then a junior team and then start into the playing with senior players, you know? Um, I think that's the real, that's the real area that we need to focus on to develop and foster talents in U.S. I mean, I mean, it's you don't want to think about how far could I have gone or how much better would I be, but like you that you know you mentioned that you wanted to keep playing with your friends and you were good, you just won the championship and. All of a sudden, pretty abruptly, right? We can't yeah. play, you know? Now you have to f- around, bullshit leagues, small-sided games, uh, pick-up games, go to the park, or maybe even just go and take free kicks. But what you want to really do is keep practicing three times a week, keep practicing with players that are better than you, and each time you are on the pitch, push yourself to get better. And that's sad that is not existing really that in the wide scheme in u.s this sort of change happens one step at a time and isn't there like a saying something maybe you don't know uh but i believe there's a saying that goes something along the lines of if you want the world to change or so or you want uh yeah if you want the world to change then you first you have to change yourself mm-hmm. or if you want someone else to change at first you have to change yourself so i think it happens one step at a time change happens one step at a time but uh let's start by changing our mentality our soccer mentality our culture and uh make it more open change our soccer culture for ultimately for the good of u.s soccer i don't know how much you care about that but good for for i care man i i'm gonna have two oh my elite girls making the national team uh, we're making this just so we can make that change um it's time to change this let's, let's monopoly say. of this f- just get the money you All know right, calm down, calm down. uh i know Maybe we could run for the president of U.S. soccer. Or we'd have to run against each other. Is it possible? Can we be candidates? Can anyone be candidates? A lot of people have been uh, putting their name in. So, so I guess. But you can run for president of U.S. soccer. And I'll keep the podcast Thank you guys for listening to the 15th episode of 
the Oz Caution King Soccer Podcast Show. <laughs> Quote of the day. Be the change that you want to see in the world.